Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 219. And today we will start the book of the Acts as we completed uh, all the Gospels uh, a couple days ago and did a Gospel summary uh, yesterday. Uh, First, uh, let's do a little uh, historical background on the book of Acts. Um, It's presumed, with good reason, that the book of Acts was written by Luke and uh, that it's a continuation of the book of Luke. And he calls, he refers to the book of Luke as the first narrative and the book of Acts as the second narratives. And this is believed because it's written to the same person, uh, Theophilus. And so it's, it's assumed that uh, Theophilus, Theophilus was a man who funded um, Luke's uh, uh, writing of the uh, book of Luke and the book of Acts. And so he addresses Theophilus uh, in the beginning of both books. And um, timing-wise, it's believed that the book of uh, Luke was written somewhere at the end of the A.D. 50s and that the book of Acts was written somewhere in the beginning of the A.D. 60s, somewhere in that time frame. And so the message and the purpose of the book of um, the Acts, let me just read here what Tony Evans has written in his uh, Christian uh, Standard Bible um, Study Bible. It says here, Acts is unique because it links the Gospels uh, with the epistles. The epistles are letters. Uh, Acts is unique because it links the Gospels with the epistles by recording the birth and early history of the church, the expression of God's kingdom for this age. When the disciples asked Jesus if the kingdom was coming at, any, at that moment, he told them it was not for them to know, but that they should see, but, but that they would see a manifestation of the kingdom's power in the work of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. The rest of Acts records what happens when the Holy Spirit's power infused the church. That makes the book critical because it is a a blueprint for the church today. It reveals how the church functions when not filled with the Spirit and what happens when the Spirit fills the church so that it explodes with power and kingdom authority. And so we see that the book of the Acts is very important because, uh, as Tony writes, it's, it's kind of a blueprint with regard to how the church is to function today in, in, the, uh, in, in the days past Jesus' ascension until he returns. And so without further ado, let's get into the book of Acts and let's see exactly what it says. And so the prologue in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, I, so this is Luke again, we presume, uh, I wrote the first narrative, uh, Theophilus, without all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so we see that after Jesus was risen from the dead for over a month, He was on the earth, you know, still teaching and still uh, communing with his disciples, with his apostles, and still giving instruction and whatnot. Next section says the Holy Spirit promised. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And so this question leads me to believe that that the disciples still aren't 100% clear on what this kingdom of God is about. Because I believe they're asking here, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? 
they're thinking of an earthly kingdom. They're thinking of the kingdoms that they are aware of. They're thinking of, you know, a king, a queen, and you know, the children, princes and princesses and, and them having minions. And I, I think, I could be wrong, but I think that's what they're thinking. I still don't think they really have a clear understanding about this kingdom that God is talking about. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure we're clear on what this kingdom of God is all about. In verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you, it, it is not for you to know uh, the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And so they're asking him, you know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know right now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's telling them that you are going to testify. You're going to be uh, the witnesses to my existence, to what my ministry was about. To me, you are going to be witnesses to others about me throughout the entire earth. The ascension, the ascension, verse 9. After he had said this, he was taken up, referring to Jesus, he was taken up as they were watching, and, uh, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That, that had to be an awesome sight, right? So the disciples are, are there, and or apostles are there, and Jesus is there, and they're watching him ascend into the clouds. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Now, I don't know exactly when, you know, these, these angels who appear before the disciples, I don't know exactly when they're referring to that they will see Jesus again in the way that he went up, he will come back. Is, that, is he talking to the disciples or is he speaking into the future? that there will come a time when people will look up and see Jesus coming the same way he ascended. United in prayer. Verse 13, they went into the room upstairs where they were staying. Uh, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, um, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They, were all, they all were continually united in prayer. The, 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 the unification part is critical here um, because, again, that was one of the key elements, in my opinion, the key themes in uh, the Gospels was that Jesus, it was his desire that all his people be one, that they all be unified in purpose. It says they, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary and mother of Jesus, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so they were all devoted to this. Uh, now we have to remember that there's one disciple, one apostle that's missing, you know, and he chose to have himself missing, and that would be Judas. And so it says in the next section, Matthias chosen. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up um, among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. You see, there weren't just the apostles, the 12 apostles or 11 now, and Mary and uh, the brothers. and uh, There were 120 people throughout Jesus's ministry. See, he was collecting people. Now, some of them fell off. Some, some of them turned away because they felt his word was too hard. But 
he was collecting people as he was going through his uh, his ministry travels. And so we see here in the upper room, uh, there are 120 people, uh, in, including the, the disciples and apostles. So in total of about 120. In verse 16, it says, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled. This is Peter talking. Um, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas. And so David prophesied about Judas, Judas is what Peter is saying, uh, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. In verse 18, now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. <laughs> so, geez, so Peter is just putting it out there. This is what happened to Judas. Uh, to Judas. This, is, this was his fate. He chose to betray us, and this is what happened to him. And so uh, Judas hung himself, and I guess from the weight of his body, the rope burst, and he fell to the ground. And Peter says his intestines spilled out. For it is written in a book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, let someone else take his position. See? And so this is written in, written in the book of Psalms, referring to Judas in verse 20, uh, 21. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, uh, during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So Peter's saying, so therefore, from amongst all these people, all the men in here, out of 120 of us, all the men in here who was with us, you know, who were with us as we were, as Jesus uh, was uh, moving in and out amongst us, he said, it is necessary that one... Uh, become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so Peter's saying, amongst all the men in here, you guys who've been with us, going with us, uh, in and out as Jesus was with us, one of you has to replace Judas, is essentially what Peter is saying. Verse 24, then they prayed, you Lord know everyone's heart, show us which one you have chosen to take place in this ap apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. <laughs> I think Peter is a little bit salty with Judas. <clears throat> then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Pentecost. So we see here, um, this is roughly 10 days after the ascension, after Jesus' ascension, which is roughly 50 days after the crucifixion. And so it says here in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, uh, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated, into, uh, that separated and rested on each one of them. So envision this. So suddenly they hear this sound, and then they see tongues like, you know, fire with, with, that look like tongues. And the flame, the tips of the flame rested on each one of them. Again, there are like 120 in here, uh, in the room. That had to be a sight. It says in verse 4, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this is when we start to enter the territory of, <laughs> of debate, consternation, and whatnot within the body of Christ, in my opinion. Now, this whole issue of speaking in tongues, you know, people, people can get very passionate on both sides of it. Uh, some say that the speaking of tongues, tongues was 
ended with uh, when the when the apostles you know died off and that there's no more speaking in tongues. Others say no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Speaking in tongues is still uh, not only occurring today but necessary today. Some even go so far as to say that it is a sign and a, a requirement of one uh, for being a true believer. You see, and so. I don't know if I go that far or not, uh, but speaking in tongues, in my opinion, is uh, is of the word. You know, it's definitely of the word. And so <clears throat> a lot of people will argue, well, speaking in tongues means speaking in intelligible languages, uh, languages that can be identified, like Italian, you know, Russian, uh, you know, whatever. And so, but there are heavenly languages that man has not named. You know, or I should say, it should, it stands to reason, and makes sense to me that, that that there are languages that can't be identified by man, that there are languages that are in fact authored by God, and so that makes sense to me because it would be in alignment with the things that He does. So I don't know. Everybody has to make their own decision with regard to this issue of the speaking in tongues. In verse five, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. Devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the crowd uh, came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed. Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each, uh, that each one of us can hear them in our own native language? And so when Peter was standing up, and so they, they aren't in the uh, room anymore. And so this was happened out in the in the open, if you will. So this was a time of festival. And so I think Pentecost was another name or in reference to the festival of weeks or something like that. And so, uh, so they're uh, apparently at this festival and this is occurring in public. This isn't occurring, you know, uh, them being sequestered away in a room somewhere. Verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter's sermon. In verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and, procl and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary. This is what was spoken through the uh, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in verse 17. And it will be in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. In verse 22, he goes on to say, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth uh, was a man attested to you by God with, with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. So Peter says, look, when Jesus was here, he was performing these acts from God, and you saw them, you witnessed them, you know this. Verse 23, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. So Peter said, look, this man came. He performed acts in public of miracles and signs and wonders. You know this because you witnessed it. Yet you backed 
these evil people, these evil religious people who did not know God, and you were amongst these evil religious Pharisees and whatnot who wanted to kill him, who wanted to nail him to the cross. In verse 24, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of, my, of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Verse 29. So that was scripture, was Old Testament from David. And then Peter says, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what has come, what spoke, uh, seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in, in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. And so, in the prophetic word from David, he wasn't. David wasn't referring to David. David was referring to Jesus. And Peter is pointing this out. And it says uh, that Jesus's body was not abandoned to Hades because it did not experience decay. In verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. So these flames and the sound that you hear and whatnot, this is the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus from God. And so Peter is just pointing out to them the things that have happened that they have witnessed, and he's putting it in context for them so that they understand. He's building his case. He's testifying about Jesus and who Jesus is. In verse 34, it says, For it is not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, Lord, declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so Peter is being a lawyer before the people, and he is testifying. He is stating his case. He is using Old Testament prophetic words. He's using uh, Old Testament uh, uh, people, you know, David, and in the Psalms. Well, David wrote most of the Psalms as well. And so he's, he's building his case. He's presenting his case before the people, essentially treating them as the jury. And he's saying, look, this is the case for Jesus. These are the things that happened. And some of these things or most of these things you actually witnessed. You know, jury, jury member, you actually witnessed this stuff. Now, let me put this in context for you. Let me explain to you how it fits with regard to the Old Testament prophetic words. And so he laid it case uh, in precept upon precept and presented the case before the people. In verse 37, he says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And so, in other words, they were convicted. They knew that what Peter was preaching was true. They knew what he was preaching was accurate. And they knew that they were wrong. And so their response was, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and here's the key, and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That refers to us. Peter says that you need to repent, turn from your wicked ways, repent um, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say who this promise is for. It's not only for you, but it's also for your children, but not only for you and your children, but for all who are far off, all who are far off in time, all who are far off in distance, and as many as the Lord God will call. Verse 40. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Can I repeat that for the people that are listening or watching this? Be saved from this corrupt generation. This generation is corrupt. We see the corruption almost growing week by week by week. We see you know, people calling evil things good and good things evil. See, we see this. The Bible predicts this. We see this happening. We're living in a time where this is happening right before our eyes. And the word that was spoken by Peter then, be saved from this corrupt generation, that goes for today. <clears throat> Repent. Turn to Jesus. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is in fact Lord and be saved from this corrupt generation. Verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, uh, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. A generous and a growing church. Now, the next verses, they're kind of difficult, in my opinion, to really internalize with regard to, okay, how does that play today? How do we deal with these commands today? Verse 42. They devoted themselves. Well, let me, let me back up. <laughs> there are four things here uh, that the early church was known for. And these four things are what churches today should be about. And so if you're in a church or looking for a church or whatever, you should be examining these things. It says, okay, does this church fit into the early church's pattern? You know, are they prioritized correctly? And so one is uh, that they're devoted, uh, the people are devoted to the teachings of the Lord. They're devoted to the teachings and the study of the word. You know, they want to be grounded. They want to be accurately grounded, rooted in the Word of God. They're devoted to fellowship. And with fellowship, a lot of people think that just means, okay, getting together for dinner. And, and certainly that's a part of it. But it's, you know, sharing um, uh, the godly attributes in you. That's sharing what God is doing in and with you, with your fellow believers, to encouraging each other. We all get discouraged at times. Being there for each other. Being there to pick them up when we fall down. Somebody being there for us when we fall down, you know. So fellowshipping, worshiping together, diverted, uh, devoted to worship. When they would get together to break bread, it was in fact for communion in order to worship the Lord in remembrance of Jesus and what he did on the cross. See, and so devoted in worship with each other. And then devoted to spreading the gospel, 
devoted uh, to um, introducing people to the things of the Lord accurately, not beating people over the head, but out of a sincerity with regard to their faith. See, we don't do things because we're trying to check something off our, our, our list, but we're concerned about them, their destiny. Verse 42, where do these things come from? So it says, they did, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. This is the tough part to ascertain what it means as far as today is concerned. They sold their possessions and property and distributed proceeds to all as any had need. And so this is where the term commune comes from. Everybody comes together. Everybody shares everything. Is that what we're supposed to do today? You know, to live in communes? I don't think so, you know, but I, I don't know if this is my opinion or, or, or if this is Holy Spirit revelation, but I don't know. In verse 46, let me keep going. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so what was being demonstrated here is a heart that everyone who numbers themselves themselves with us, that nobody should go without, that everybody's needs should be met. That's what I believe the church of today should be about in our local congregations, making sure that everybody who numbers themselves amongst us has what they need. Now, Part of the issue is that some people know this and they go in and they're, they're professionals at it. They go into churches in order specifically to take advantage of those people. And so they know the word, they get into the scripture, they can speak the language and they come there in order to get what I'm going to label handouts because they're doing this. Um, it, it, it's, it's not that circumstances have, have um, placed them in this situation. They view this essentially as an occupation. And so they go in in order to fleece churches, even though words I'm using fleece implies some negative motivation, uh, but I think that that's accurate. And so I think they're going in to take advantage of people's goodwill and good nature. They're going to have to deal with the Lord with regard to that. We have to do what we have to do according to what the word says. And so if that means uh, that we end up being taken advantage of by some people, well, I believe that the Lord is going to examine our hearts. And if we're doing what we felt we should be doing in order to obey his commands, in order to be righteous before the Lord, then I believe that that will be attributed to us as righteousness. The other people who did, you know, the dirty deeds, they're going to have to answer for that. And with that, we are done for today. Uh, and again, in the presentation uh, of this uh, second chapter, the invitation went out. The invitation went out. Do you believe what Peter said? Do you believe what Peter was preaching when he was preaching to the other Jews with regard to who Jesus was, what his purpose was, what they witnessed, what they saw, what it means in the context of Jesus's life in the Old Testament prophetic words? I do. 
That extended uh, uh, invitation goes out. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. Examine that very thoroughly if you haven't made the decision for Christ. Search your heart, search your core, search your inner being. You know this word is true. With that, we are done. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and God willing, we'll see you tomorrow in episode 220 of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.